Meeting start. Seven o'clock. So welcome to New Freedom. Welcome to Position of Neutrality. Do we have anyone in the room for the first time tonight? One or two? Very good. All right. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Um, we want to warn you guys that have never been here before in advance, you're liable to perceive us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. And the primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. So what we do here is we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. So what we do here is we try and show you how we find our experience in the book and encourage you to have your experience with the book. And if we both do our job, we share a spiritual experience in the room each time. Anyone been here before can witness for these folks that happened? So those of you online, those of you here first time, they're raising their hand. When we speak of a Spiritual experience, we're talking about a sensory experience. You'll feel it. And when you do, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention. Because we would teach you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration. And some people might ask, why would your knowing I'm feeling something have anything to do with the power of God? It, it might not. It might not. But if we take one thing on faith we read at every meeting, there is one who has all power. That one is... So, so did we not demonstrate oneness if we're sharing an experience in the room? So that's what we're going to try and improve our consciousness, our awareness of being aware of, is that power running in and through us. Yes? Yeah. And tonight we're going to be taking a look at step three. Two other housekeeping matters. If you are a member here and you would like your family to join you, even if you're in your first 30 days, they're welcome to come to this and the Saturday Recovery Church. Chaplain Lee is, does the Recovery Church and they open the doors at 6.15. The family can get together and you can come to that service and the doors are open at 6.15 on Thursday night and family, friends can come meet you here and see how you're doing. There's a lot of anxiety about when, when we come home, there's anxiety on the part of the people that are receiving us and ours and this is a good safe place to let them see the new man or woman and, and where we're trying to go, if it makes any sense. So um, tonight we're in step three, and if you're following along in a book, you'll want to be in chapter five, page 58 of your book, and if you're not following along in a book, it really won't matter. <laughs> I might just make the whole thing up. How many of you have been to an AA meeting before? Oh, good, a percentage of you. That's a pretty good percentage, yeah. Okay, so at most AA meetings I've ever been to, we read this first portion. Other fellowships may have written their own. They may not read anything at all or whatever, but this is a, the wrap-ups of steps one and two, which lead us into this third-step decision and explain to us what the third-step decision is. So there's a lot more information packed in here than we think when someone helps us unpack it. Fair enough? So we're going to start on chapter 5, and it's called How It Works. And when they say it here, they're talking about the process, not the power. Yeah. 
and, and because none of us can fully define or comprehend that power which is God, so we, we have no way of defining if that's, they, if they wanted to talk about the power, they would say how he works, because that's the language they use. Does it make sense? Okay. So it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. So they started out with a promise and a condition. Did you catch the promise? Rarely have we seen a person fail. What's the condition? Thoroughly followed our path. So they said our, so who's we? The first 100. So it's no one in the modern fellowships today. Notice how they said this is the first 100, and this is the story of how many thousands have recovered, but they speak of one path. They didn't say paths. Interesting, isn't it? Perhaps they made a mistake. We think not. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. So how many of you have had more than one go at this recovery experience? Have you ever contemplated whether you might be a cannot or a will not? What did you conclude? I always like for people to contemplate that because how many of you thought you were being defiant until you found yourself spun like a monkey and found out you were a cannot? Sometimes people don't grow spiritually. They don't offer themselves as a living sacrifice. They don't serve. And in that experience, they don't unpack and they continue to suffer the internal wars that are in every human. And for a human with addictive disorder, when I'm under enough of an internal war, I know where to get spirits. I know where to get release, right? And if, until AA showed me that I had been looking in the wrong place, I just went and got high. Anyway, um, so we got to be honest with ourselves about something or we're in this class. So what are we talking about that we, these guys that don't recover are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves about? Yeah, that's a, that's a manifestation. They actually gave us a couple descriptions in, in the run-up to here, because this is the run-up from one and two, right? So let's go back to the doctor's opinion. That's as good a place as any. And let's go to this, this week, let's go to the bottom of XXVIII, Roman numeral 28. And it says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Yes! <laughs> is that like a no-brainer? If you weren't a drinker, did you do whatever it is you did because you like the effect produced? Hmm. They say that the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. Did you find yourself in time lying to yourself about what you were going to do? Or what you were not going to do? How many of you redefined your reality in terms of the new depths of depravity you discovered? 
Well, I, I mean, some of us, so if, I ever got, if I ever got that bad, I'd never do it again. Any of you ever make any of those declarations? And then watch that bad go down three more floors. Okay. So how many of you are in here sober tonight? Oh, good, a high percentage of you. That's always a good start. That's a good start. We're very proud of you here at New Freedom. How many of you sitting in your chair sober can bring to consciousness, bring to your awareness right now that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once when you take a few? That's the one thing you got to be honest about. Sitting here many years sober, many of us, sometimes sober, stone cold sober, knowing how detrimental using again would be, but whew, euphoric recall, full body experience. Okay, I got to get honest with that. It says that I am an ease and comfort seeker, and that experience is ease and comfort, and I will get desperate enough, I have to have ease and comfort, and I know now where I must look is inward, not outward, and the reason I need to know that is it's always luring me outward. Does that make sense? Okay, and so the next thing is go to page 50. And we're going to talk about the story that these authors tell about the thousands of people they witness about. At the bottom of that page on 50, it says, here are thousands of men and women worldly indeed. We talked about that last week. Worldly simply means they were people of the world, doctors, lawyers, business leaders, clergy. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves and take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. How many of you recognize the need for such a revolution at some point in your addiction? How many of you have been in recovery for a while and still on the regular have a need for a revolution in the way you're living and thinking? Any of you ever been stuck in sobriety? Yeah, we don't stay stuck, do we? We get busy. Okay. So it says, in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. Isn't that what happened when you hit the pipe? Isn't that what happened when you took that drink? Power, peace, happiness, sense of direction. More. Yes? The difference between synthetic spirits and real spirit. Right? This happened after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. The requirements are? We, they tell us what they are, but to make it simple, Bob laid it out. Trust God. When we say God, what are we talking about? And now we've got a more apt description. When we say God, we're talking about power, peace, happiness, and a sense of direction flowing in. Right? Not a theology, a relationship. Make sense? I had a relationship with drugs and alcohol. They did what they promised, and I got fucked up. Okay. 
So you be honest with yourself about those two things, the experience you had in your encounter in two, the little bump of the spirit, and then you get honest with yourself that you can still bring to consciousness sitting here sober that lure of the synthetic spirit. From, does it make sense? And, and if you can be honest with yourself about that, you're going to get well. And if you can't, well, they tell us more about those people here, right? It tell, they tell us they're naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. So they're going to lay out the program, which is a manner of living, not sitting in meetings, discussed in the book, not in the rooms. Their chances are less than average. So if you can't be honest with yourself about either you're sitting here and you can still bring to consciousness many days, weeks, or years later, or you can't be honest with yourself about the encounter we helped you have last week, then we need to go back to step one. Or go get drunk and call us when you're ready. Right? I mean, it, that's what they say, you know, start, you know, take a few drinks and stop abruptly. Step over the dope, man. Take a, <laughs> throw it down. Throw the rest of that sack away. Not going to need that. I don't pick up no matter what. Okay, so then it says there are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders. But many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. How many of you in your time in recovery have met those people with grave emotional and mental disorder? How many of you with your hand up have recognized that it's you? The more you awaken to who you really are versus who you thought you are, the more you realize the miracle of your own recovery. You absolutely will recognize that I definitely had grave emotional and mental disorders. Okay, so it says our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we're like now. Over the years in modern fellowship, a lot of the power of testimony went away because people started talking about what it was like. What, and, and the problem with that is, number one, they're not following directions. But number two is, the main problem with the alcoholic is our lack of perspective. And so, telling you what it was like, we're not going to connect. Because when I was homeless and spun, I would tell you, only suckers pay rent. They don't have thorns. It's, uh, I mean, you got to pick your bush, dude. Um, you learn from picking the wrong ones. Um, so what I was like, I'm not going to know until I've had the opportunity to enact this decision and take a look at what I was like, what happened, and what I'd like to be like in the future in my fourth step inventory. Does it make sense? So that, that's going to be necessary. Um, anyway. It says, if you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. And we make a mistake there by telling people they have to race through these steps. So you won't have the effect unless you honestly want to and are willing to make the effort. And you can't enter into a conscious relationship without examining the process with your logical senses. So what we need to do is go back, because none of us are we, and see what it is they had and see if you're willing to go to any lengths to get it or even certain lengths to get it. Because if we're honest, none of us are willing to go to any lengths. We just cop to shit in a hurry when we... 
right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I can get out of a lecture, let's go. Anyways, okay, so let's go back to page 25. So on page 25 in the middle of the page, they tell us what they had. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward, God, toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. Remember, yep, very good. Thanks for remembering to do that. We say God, you say power. Thanks, Mike. We're going to get you to stand up with a bullhorn. <laughs> so remember, we all agreed that sometimes we need a revolution in the way we're living and thinking. And they're telling us that they have had their whole idea revolutionized. So that which I sought, they found. Okay? The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. That may not sound like much if you grew up and around a church and you've been, you know, if you're not overly prejudiced, but how about the other half that were atheists or agnostics? Believe God didn't, didn't exist at all or couldn't be proven to exist even if he did. And now they're witnessing to the absolute certainty that not only does he lives, but he lives in me through me. Somebody's feeling that. That's the power we call God. That's real. That's happening in you, right? Okay. And it is indeed miraculous, isn't it? He has accomplished, he has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. And remember the words they use, they mean, and they mean the words they use. So when they said he has commenced to accomplish, that doesn't mean it's a one and done. I was not a one and, one and done opiate user. I was not a one and done drinker. I was not a one and done cocaine user. And I'll not be a one and done God user. But the nice thing about this power we call God is just like the power we call cocaine. Once you take the first hit, the power takes the second hit. Make sense? Somebody felt that. Okay. All right. So I'm going to jump back to where we are. So that was the requirement if we want what they have. Do some of you want it? And if you're still not there, think about what you were absolutely certain about when you were in your addiction. They're witnessing to absolute certainty, which is a requirement of the strength of a power to pull me out of that which I was in. Because the only thing I was absolutely certain of in my addiction was that if I could get to the trap house, it would be different. Didn't care about consequence, didn't care about how sick I was, didn't care what was going on, but if I could get from here to there, I can feel different. Certain of it. Anyway? And it was that kind of power I required to go the other way. All right. So then it goes on to tell us, if we are wanting what they have, then we're ready to take certain steps. And then they're going to tell us about that experience of being ready to take certain steps. At some of these, we balked. How many of you got to step two, got to step three? Someone said, we're going to do an inventory. You're going to share it with somebody else. You're going to prioritize it. Then you're going to grow in prayer and meditation. You're going to make amends for harms done. 
And you thought, wow, that's, that's a lot. And some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. So when they say all the earnestness at their command, the only thing that I can tell you is I once thought and felt as you do. But I doubt I'd have made much progress had I not taken action. This is the action I took. This is what I experienced as a result, and I can align my experience with theirs. And I also sat for many years not doing this, and even in abstinence, I was miserable. Okay. Um, some of us tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Why do you think that's true? Where do, where, where do our ideas come from? Yeah, the old idea factory. Have you ever noticed how you can run into someone who reminds you of a past experience and you'll either like them or dislike them, even though you've never met them, exchanged anything with them, just because it's a reminder of some interaction you've had in the past? You're not going to be a very good servant that way. Right? Okay. Um, so it gets in our way. Uh-oh. I don't know who's calling, but it's probably not mine. I'm pretty sure I paid him. All right. All right, so. <clears throat> oh, we had let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it's too much for us. Who's, who's the us they're talking about? We got to get to this because some people, well, that's not my experience. Okay, but it, they didn't say it was your experience. If they wanted you to own theirs, they'd have said it's too much for you. This is witness. That's why we don't change it. After all these years, we don't change it because it's testimony and there's power in testimony. So cunning, baffling, powerful, without help, it's too much for us. But this is the story of how they recovered. Does it make sense? But there is one who has all power. That one is? Awesome, Dalton. Good work. Yeah, I shouted, Mike. That can't be done easily. There's one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Where are we going looking? Deep down inside. Okay, in the last analysis, it's only there that he needs to be found. Why do I call that to your attention? Because I need for the process to make sense to you. Why would I tell someone all my secrets? Well, number one, there are no secrets in the realm of the spirit. So you're not telling anybody. You're, you're just learning about it. That's all. And the reality of the situation is those secrets are obscuring my consciousness of the power I desperately need to live. So I'm going to have to get those calamities, pomps, and worships identified in order to cast them out. So I'm just going in to clean house so I can serve. Yeah? So then it says half measures availed us nothing. How'd they learn that? They applied some half measures. How many of you have done a little half measuring? How many of you thought it got you about half? Sometimes it feels like you're getting somewhere until you find yourself three steps back. I had an old timer tell me a long time ago, I don't know what I was doing that reminded her of it, but she looked at me and she said, Joe, haven't you learned that you cannot coast uphill? 
Anyway. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Think about that. They had to have had a tangible sensory experience in order to ask for care with complete abandon. Half of them were atheists or agnostics. Now that power may be an, have been expressing itself to them at that moment as desperation. But nonetheless, this power has many veils and is revelation within us. Yes? How many of you remember the desperate days? How many of you have been stone cold sober and had desperate days? I need power to philosophically comfort me. I am in a storm and I'm about to lash out. And now because of our disciplines, we go inward instead of outward and there's less wreckage and we center. Yes? Okay. So here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. I'm not going to read those because you've read them. And the thing about reading the steps, there's more power in doing them. So we'll skip the reading and we'll get to the doing. Okay? So then we're at page 60. It said, many of us exclaimed, what an order. I can't go through with it. How many of you haven't expressed it quite that way? Because that sounds a little weird. But you did sort of silently say, I ain't never telling that shit to anybody. <laughs> or some variation thereof. If I t go admit to that, this is going to happen. Or how many of you looked a little further down the road and go, man, if I had known I had to pay all that shit back, I'd have never taken that much. So what they're saying is do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We're not saints. The point is that we're willing to grow along spiritual lines. And what that really means to you in early recovery is stay in the step you're in. Of course you don't have the courage necessary to pull off a ninth step amends when you're still in step two waiting on a decision. Same reason you don't get on the bus from home. You have to go to the fucking bus stop. <laughs> There's some preparation. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We're not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we've set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. So all the principles they're talking about are in here, and it's about disciplining your thought life, learning the facts about you. Once you learn the facts about yourself, you take the facts to the truth, which is the power you find within you. Make sense? Okay. So then it says, our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, so now we're going through, remember when they described the alcoholic, Bill roughly described his experience of alcoholism, and then they did a chapter on there is a solution. They talked back and forth about what happened, and then they went, let us identify if we were a real alcoholic from page, what, 20? 30. Real alcoholic? 22, 21, somewhere like that. And then, then once we got to there, then they told us a little more about alcoholism. We learned about Jim and Fred and the jaywalker and all those things, right? That's, what, that's where we are. So it says, the description of the alcoholic, and they gave us several pages to get there so we could find ourselves. 
the chapter to the agnostic, and then our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. So this is what they learned after they started embarking on this manner of living, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. That probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, that God could and would if he were sought. Now remember, this is an experience they wrote about having had the experience, so it's okay if you're sitting there going, I don't believe it, I have an idea of God that doesn't serve me in this, that, that's all fine, but we're not talking to you about ideas anyway. We're talking to you about an experience. Can you be honest with the experience we're sharing? If you can, you're fine. If you can't, then we're going to have trouble because you, you have to come to believe in a power greater than yourself, even if that power is alcohol, cocaine, methamphetamine, because we come to believe in an illness before we come to believe we need a healer. Just the process. Does it make sense? Okay, so it says God could and would if he were sought, and now they're writing about that experience, and they've, they've been sober a while, even though they had serious doubt that they could be, and the doctors had told them they couldn't be. Okay, so it says being convinced we were at step three. So being convinced of what? A, B, and C. A, B, and C. And interestingly enough about this manner of living is that you're really not convinced about A, B, and C until you've done all the steps and you're taking someone else through their A, B, and C. Because you really get access to more power than you need when you offer it to another. So if you don't have the profound experience they describe, it's because you haven't taken enough people through theirs. It will happen. Okay? So, which is that we decide to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. So we, to power as we understood them. That has been taken to mean over the years because people said we were we, that it's a God of my understanding. That is not what they said. Don't buy into that nonsense. This is not a God of my understanding. This is God as they understood him, and they went to great lengths to tell you how they understood him. Bill said a cool wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. Scales fell from his eyes. That's what he said. The famous agnostic, atheist. That's what he said. So they were talking about a profound sensory experience, not some concept. Okay? We start with our concepts, but I'm aligning myself to their experience. Does that make sense? God will meet you where you are. He'll pair you with someone that can share a profound experience with you. But I believe in God not because of what you told me. I believe in God because of what he's done for me. Okay. So which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that and what do we do? So that would be the obvious question. What do we mean? What do we do? Luckily, they answered their own question. So the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So are you convinced? What are you convinced by? So you're, you're convinced by your own experience in addiction. So, okay, so what they're saying is any life. So it's, it's a higher standard. It's not just my experience. It's, I've got to quit judging how I'm thinking and feeling how I, by how I see at other people act or hear them talk. Have you ever noticed when you're really going through a storm, you think you're the only person on the planet going through the storm? 
And when you finally get empowered enough to share that I'm going through a storm, I go, hey, we're all going through a storm. Get on my boat. We'll ride it out together. All right, so it says that the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. So how many of you have discovered that? Checked your motives, motives were good, and then some son of a bitch didn't appreciate your motives. <laughs> or didn't show appropriate gratitude for your expression. Anybody ever had that happen? Okay. So they're going to talk to us about our human condition some more. It says most people try to live by self-propulsion. Pay attention to the words they use. When they want to talk to me about the world, they'll talk to me about its people. When they want to talk to me about me, they'll say alcoholic. Different. I'm a person with an alcoholic condition. Make sense? Not everyone is. They're just people. Okay. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. Thank you. There you go. Anyone besides Sean find yourself there? Kind, generous, modest, self-sacrificing. If, you, if you're putting your own name on the modest list, you might want to rethink. That's something you're usually nominated for. Just, just, uh, anyway, you should find yourself there. The facts are you should find yourself there. But we're going to look at the other side, right? On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. And how many of you find yourself there? How many of you find yourself there more comfortably than the other one? So that false humility will get in your way, too. Because you've got to be a, sort of the arbiter of your own thinking from time to time so you know what to cast away and what to move in. Does that make sense? So you're going to have to own this condition and, and get more balance because they're going to tell us next. But as with most humans, he's more likely to have varied traits. So our whole life lived out in our thought life. We've got to learn as these thoughts come up, right? Paul, St. Paul said, everything's permissible. Not everything's beneficial. How many of you learned that about your thoughts? Oh, they don't know what I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> no one has a thought on their own. Some of us just don't speak them because we've learned not to. Anyway, same way you're probably going to. Um, what usually happens? Lance gave up the whole deal. Says the show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He, you ever done that? I need to try harder to make them like me. Even if I have to be mean, egotistical, and self-righteous. Okay. Still more demanding, he becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. And still the play does not suit him. How many of you ever had that happen to you? Had it all right, 
and it's still not right. I don't know why that is for anyone else, but I can tell you what I learned about me. This is the show that is my life that we're talking about. See, this isn't a book on how you ought to behave. This is a book on how if I will try and behave, it won't bother me so much how you behave. So I've got to put myself square in the middle of it. What I learned was this is the show that is my life. And when the light panned to Joe to play the part that was his life, he wasn't there because he was out arranging the lights, the scenery, and the ballet, and the rest of the players. So the show couldn't come off because I wasn't there to play my part. Does that make sense? So then it says, admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he's sure that other people are more to blame. Any of you ever realized you made a little faux pas and then thought, maybe I can divert some of this? (laughs) (laughs) He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is this basic trouble? So they put a question mark. They want you to go inward. Eyesight without insight is spiritual blindness. I've got to go see what's really troubling because the the main problem centers in the mind, right? So what's going on isn't necessarily what's going on. That's why I'm going to learn these disciplines of disciplining my thought life based on how I see myself manifesting when I do my fourth step. Okay? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? So there's the question. Did I offer you something in kindness? In all sincerity, I thought I was being kind, but when you didn't respond the way I wanted you to, I got angry, and I revealed to myself that it was not a kind gesture. It was a self-seeking gesture. And it may not have even been a particular outcome, just whatever, right? Sure. So is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only he manages well? How many of you have recognized that as a delusion? How many of you know that the nature of delusion is that you lie to you and you don't know that you're lying? Have you ever tried to convince somebody that what they were telling you was patently false and they absolutely could not receive it? Have you ever been that person? (laughs) Did you realize that there's a little more to managing everything that's going on in the entire world? That there's some variables that perhaps we didn't consider? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? So now they're talking about where we have human interactions and we get stuck. How many of you are running around acting like you were in charge? Ran into somebody else who thought they were in charge. They're going to talk about that little interaction. And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Is he not even in his best moments a producer of confusion rather than harmony? Why? Because I have set myself up to be let down because I have placed expectations on the behavior of another. When I have failed to meet my own expectations of my behavior for years. Does that make sense? All right, so our actor is self centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He's like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century. Politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. 
the outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him, and the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. Whatever our protestations are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, or our self-pity. Now from this stage, guys, you may not know that. The thing I always like to tell people new to the manner of living, I don't care how long you've been in recovery, but if you haven't gone through the process, you're not properly armed with the facts about yourself. I mean, the only reason I do a four is not to let you know who I am, because if you're spiritually in tune, you know who I am and whose I am when I get to you. It's me who doesn't know. So, so what I need for you to understand is if you haven't had the opportunity to look inward and find out what's up, then you won't know. You just can be angry. I got here, I was just angry. And if, I, if they told me to lay down my anger without realizing how I was perpetuating that manifestation of self, I was like, fuck you. This is what I used to survive. Does it make sense? So it says selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. And they're not saying in a bad way, it's a human condition. I have a limited perspective. Yes? How many of you thought you were the center of the universe? How many of you knew you were correct from a mathematical perspective? Because if you are in an infinite field, any point in an infinite field is mathematically the center of the universe. So you weren't wrong. You just forgot how many other centers there were. It's possible to be right on both points, is my point. Okay. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Fear drives it all. These manifestations of self, which is what I'm going to go discover in four. Being convinced that self manifested various ways is what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. Yes? Okay. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we've made decisions based on self which later placed us in a position to be hurt. That's another one I want you to be careful about. No one's saying that if someone did harm to you as a child or even as an adult that was in a superior authority position over you that you had any part of that, but if you survived it and you're still dying over it, years later, instead of employing it to help others through similar experiences, then your part is unforgiveness. And we can help you with that. Does it make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, so our trouble, we think, are basically of our, of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. So they told me earlier that people were regular examples of self-will run riot. And now I have discovered that I am alcoholic. I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot, and I don't think so. What are the chances I can live long and happily in this world? Not good. Not unless something revolutionary happens. Yeah? Okay. So above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. Notice how they didn't say, above everything, we people have to be rid of it. i got to take ownership of my condition. I'm a people who suffers from selfishness, one of the manifestations of self that fear drives. Does it make sense? But because of my alcoholic condition, I'm a bit extreme. Anyone else got a little extreme in them? 
We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. That's, it. That's important that we say that to the people that are still having trouble with the idea of God. God's not an idea, so let's just call it power because we're interchangeable. In 12-step recovery, God and power is the same experience. I'm not talking about theologies. We're talking about experience. We're talking about radical change. We're talking about acting better than you think. We're talking about acting when you didn't think you could act before. God makes that possible, and there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. How did they discover that? And they only said often because they just didn't have enough experience. You can't get rid of self without help from within, because the minute I'm aware of self, there I am. So it's hard to get rid of me by myself. I'm, I'm reluctant to do so no matter what I may proclaim. I used to try and get rid of my thoughts by drinking and drugging myself into a stupor, so I, I have some experience with it, but see, I needed a spiritual force to get rid of self. And I still need a spiritual force to get rid of self. Okay? Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we couldn't live up to them even though we would have liked to. How many of you had ideas on how you ought to behave? And you meant it. And you didn't quite have the power to carry it out. Okay. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. See, as they walked through the process, they got more emphatic. So they went through this progressive surrender. People talk to us about surrender as a one and done. Not my experience. Not my experience. I, 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 on the regular, have to surrender to what is. There's a difference between surrender and yield, right? We got a sermon on that the other night. I don't know if anyone was here for that. But to surrender is if I'm beaten badly enough, I'll stay down. Because I've just learned to stay down after a while, right? Because they'll just keep kicking if you don't, right? That's a surrender. But to accept the beating as what I chose, that's to yield. So sometimes the things we go through in order to perfect us as servants are difficult. Some of us are parents and we watch our children out there strung out and dying in their addictions. Some of us have buried our own children. Some of us have buried close friends. All of those are difficult experiences. All of them prepare me to be a better servant. Does that make sense? but I'm going to need to improve my consciousness of this power. I'm going to have to grow in the spirit so that I lose my fear like they're going to promise. Yeah? Okay. Um, this is the how and the why of it. So now they're going to, what do we mean? What do we do? Then they read a few more pages, and now they're going to tell us again. This is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. So the first question would be, Wow, I don't believe in God. What do you mean playing God? Well, I was out trying to arrange the lights and the scenery in the valley, and that wasn't my role. My job was to stand and wait for my cue. Stand in faith and wait for my cue. How many of you have learned to do that now? And it still seems amazingly simple. At times you feel like you could add to it. 
So why did we have to quit playing God? Because it didn't work. Right? Next, we decided that here and after in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. Great, now I don't have to arrange the lights, the scenery, and the ballet. The director will do that. I just got to stand on my spot and wait for my cue, right? He's the principal, we're his agents. He's the father, we're his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. What concept? Yeah, but it's also describing the relationship we're entering into and the reason why we cannot fail. He's the father, and we are his children. I learn in this process who I am and whose I am. And once I know that, it does not matter the circumstance, I win. Some of you have watched us around here go through a difficult circumstance. Some of you have even heard people writing our obituaries. Ha, 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 ha! We win, and we're better for the experience. Believe that. You know why? Because of who you are and whose you are. There's a collective prayer, there's a collective movement of God that happens here and has been happening here, and of course there's opposition, that's what strengthens us. We had a new employer, being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So who's my new employer? They used a capital E. He's not only my father, he's my employer. My job is to keep close to him and perform his work well. So how do I keep close to this power? Where do I find this power? Deep down inside. So to, to Lance's point, that would make sense logically why I'd want to improve conscious contact, awareness of being aware as I grow, because i got to keep close to him. And perform his work well. What's his work? That's what he said, you love me, feed my sheep. There's another passage of the book, he said he so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Now that you've been adopted into that role, salvation of the world is your mission. Might want to get tapped into a little power and direction, because that's a big lift. Yes? But you guys think it's not true. I'm telling you, when we started to set this up, some of you have heard us tell this story before, Denise and I and about five other people are sitting down off 24th Street, plotting and scheming how to drive people in 10-year-old cars from the penitentiary somewhere, pass a hat, and just pay halfway house rents and do whatever the hell we could do. And, and then these people came to a meeting and they offered to give us a church. So we figured out we'll convert this church into a reentry center. We can bring maybe 20 people. God said, no, nah, you're not thinking big enough. So even though we had the church for free, we could never get the permits to put the 20 in it. And then God led us to somebody else, and we pitched an idea that seemed to make perfect sense to us, but most of the people we've talked to since thought we were freaking loony. <laughs> we got an idea. We're going to go get 400 recently released men and women from the state's penitentiaries, 
and we're going to plop them down right in one location in the middle of town. It's going to be fucking epic. <laughs> but indeed, we met the right partners. One of them's here tonight. Mark's here. He's almost ever here. And they brought the resource and the wherewithal. And guess what, guys? How many of you have been here long enough to know? It is epic. All right. So that's how we perform his work. Well, we just serve. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. Told you about my little plan. Take a free church. It was a good little church. <laughs> more and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life as we felt new power flow in. Breathe that in. As we felt, first 100, half of them atheists or agnostics, as we felt new power flow in. New, right? Okay, as we enjoyed peace of mind. Remember we talked about the need for philosophical comfort? How about a little bump of peace of mind? As we discovered we could face life successfully. How many of you discovered that as you started moving through your step process? I'm not talking about going to meetings. I'm just talking move through your step. Start amending, doing approaches and making arrangements for harm's done. And pretty soon you're like getting better opportunities and you can go places you couldn't go before and you can look people in the eye again. Anyone have those experiences? As we became conscious of his presence. This is why it's so important we not lie to people about light bulbs and doorknobs and make it up and God of your understanding. I cannot become conscious of his presence, aware of being aware of God's power in and on my life if I don't know where I'm looking and I don't know what to experience. And at first it seems foreign, but when you get around a bunch of us that are living in the power and we start talking about the power, we all going to share the power. And then being conscious of his presence is a no-brainer. Okay? We began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. So in order for a rebirth, what has to happen? We're going to put that self, we're going to lay it down. Make sense? And... It's a figurative move, but indeed, if you don't die of self to some degree, what, what ends up happening, really, if you haven't got very far in this, is you'll still think like you. You'll just act better than that. And, and in time, some of the really disturbing thoughts won't even come where they used to come on the regular. Someone will tell you, you should be angry. Eh, I don't want to be angry. <laughs> well, you're letting them get away with it. Well, they already fucking did it. I'm not. How is me being angry going to change it? But I never would have conceived of that until I got the opportunity to serve and realized that, you know, there's a lot more to life than holding on to grievance. And I can't live when I'm holding on to grievance. So then it says, we're now at step three. These guys are baffling, aren't they? they like, Take us through several pages, and they come right back where we started. All right? 
So now we're at a prayer. I'm going to read their prayer, but I'm going to blow through it, and then we'll look at what they say, and we'll go from there. So it says, many of us said to our maker as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Notice how they expected him to build and to do. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. So what I thought I was imprisoned in physically was not my main problem. It was my limiting thoughts. So relieve me of the bondage of self and then my circumstances won't define me. Does that make sense? Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. So this is when they're talking about my testimony is my new life, not what I say. That's why it's so important that we're not comparing possessions or accomplishments and we're only just watching each other serve. And when you see someone serving inspirationally, you're naturally inquisitive of how do you do that from this? And that's why I say, well, I got God. He sees to it. I do this, right? His power, his, his way of life. This was not my way of life, right? I've talked to you about this before. If you're here, you didn't choose. You were chosen. This isn't what we chose. We showed what we chose. Shit show. The other thing that happened over the years is somebody, some drunk, put an amen on a card and wrote this. So there's that prayer. Say that and say amen. There's no amen here. You know why? It's only half the prayer. Amen means I need agreement because I'm about to do something. I ain't going to do nothing. I'm just going inward to see. I'm going to need him to do it all. Reveal to me me, and in peeling off me, he'll reveal to me himself. All right, so we thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. We found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person such as our wife, best friend, or spiritual advisor, but it's better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. So if you want to do it with a spiritual advisor, fine, but if someone doesn't understand the relationship you're entering into, it can dampen your effect. And they are going to talk to you about a powerful, profound effect, and you're going to want it because that's going to bump you into the next phase of your development. The wording was, of course, quite optional so long as we express the idea of voicing it without reservation. So if you do not talk in these and thous, if you do not talk in King James language, don't just copy their prayer. That's why I broke down to you what they were talking about. Write your own prayer. God knows how you talk. Because you're going to have to voice it without reservation. So if it ain't you, it ain't you. Make sense? And then it says this was only a beginning, though if honestly and humbly made, an effect, sometimes a very great one, was felt at once. And so go back to your room, write a prayer, Say the prayer, come back and tell any one of us who knows what you felt, and we'll know. How many of you have written a prayer and come and shared it with me? Some of you have. We knew, huh? We lit the whole place up, didn't we? Thanks for the bump. All right, see you all.